Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and I'm glad you're joining us today for Reconciling Grace as we discuss topics and passages from the Bible. Joining me today is Mick Wells. Mick is a Christian songwriter. He also is one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program and has been part of Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980. Also with us today is Steve Wilson. Steve is a Christian author. He has a master's degree from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, and most recently he is a computer game designer. That's something new for your uh, resume there, Steve-o, and we're glad that that's uh, something that that you're doing. We know you're kind of a Renaissance man many times. Steve, you're the one who's uh, kind of going to be kicking things off for us today with our topic of do Christians need to and the question today is do Christians need to go to church go to church that's a good one why don't you uh, kind of let us know what uh, direction you're heading with that today so we've been talking about church the last couple of episodes and uh, well here we are we're, we're kind of questioning in this series do Christians need to or questioning um, Christian practices and, and kind of some of the the things that we've adopted in American Christianity as this is what Christians do. And of course, one of those big things is Christians go to church. But do Christians need to go to church? Well, one of the things that uh, I immediately thought about when you were asking that question or when you actually said that one of the things Christians are supposed to do is go to church is an article that I read just within the last couple of weeks talking about, and I wish I could remember the name of the article or where I read it, but it was talking about church attendance. And um, basically over the past decade or so, church attendance has dropped. It used to be maybe a decade or two ago that a regular churchgoer was considered somebody who went to church at least once a week. Now a person is considered regular if they go at least once a month, I think is what it was saying. Um, So there used to be a stigma maybe about churches being so overly involved in certain denominations, especially. I remember that the church where my wife grew up They had services every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and revivals two weeks out of the year. And and my wife used to say if the doors were open, their family was there. Now, I came from a different uh, Christian background. Going to church on Sunday morning was basically what what we did. And I remember talking to a friend of mine um, not many years after my wife and I met, and he was from a Lutheran background, And when I told him that we normally had Sunday morning service and Sunday evening service in the Church of the Nazarene, he said, you mean like with a different sermon and everything? So (laughs) for different people, it's a different idea. But Steve, what you were saying is Christians are expected to go to church. I don't know that so often they're even expecting to go to church anymore. Okay. I'm not sure that... uh 
the term going to church is even a you know a direct translation of anything in in the scriptures i i think as long as christian people who are members of the universal or a catholic in its uh, generic sense body of christ are are doing what uh, is intended for assembling of christians then i i think that's the uh, the main purpose for uh, assembling as the the scriptures talk about meeting together um, acts 242 is kind of interesting because it gives uh, well it says this speaking of the followers they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer and I think that as long as that's taking place it doesn't have to be in a church building per se but I, I think it's um, incumbent upon every Christian to seek out that kind of fellowship and fulfill the purposes that uh, the word tells us the church should be doing because we're all as your song says Pete we're all members of a body and we all depend upon each other and it's very clear in context of scripture that we're not to do our thing in isolation right i think that that's something that's a great uh, point to make the great point wasn't necessarily my song because i don't know that many of my many of the listeners today are going to know that song it was written probably 30 years ago i thought you did a real good job with it well Pete. yeah 30 years ago it probably was a, a decent song but uh, the point being it, the 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 song was about as mick said the uh the body of christ working together and that's one of the things i was going to say as well and, and mick you kind of hit on it is there aren't really any scriptures that say go to church, but the idea of church is rather implicit in in the New Testament, talking about being with other believers and meeting together. Let's go ahead and look up uh, that scripture that talks explicitly about that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Okay, reading from the NIV, the word says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so that was written, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago, not quite 2,000 mm -hmm. years ago, and says that some are in the habit of giving up on meeting together. You know, I guess not getting people to church regularly really isn't a new problem for us today, is it? Sounds like it. All right. <laughs> So if we're not supposed to give up meeting together, uh, as we've been talking about, um, but maybe that doesn't happen to have to happen in a church. Um, so can Christians meet, uh, say, in an informal gathering as a house church or as a group Bible study, uh, completely separate from a church, so to speak? I would think so. I think that the idea is, you know, what is a church? There are so many different ways that the language has evolved over the years and decades and centuries. Um, you know, the English language has changed a lot. One of the things, and this is kind of getting off base, but I'm going to use it as an illustrative thing that, you know, we've heard, or at least I've heard many times is, well, why don't we use the King James Bible? Because that was the best English translation. Well, you know what? We don't speak King James English anymore. 
when we look at the way that the words were written in King James English, we don't speak that way anymore. A way to look at that is go another 150 or so years later and look at the words of the Declaration of Independence. And you read the words in the Declaration of Independence, we don't even speak American English that way anymore. The, the language changes. And so when we're talking about the idea of churches and meeting together, um, I don't know that we're talking about one specific church or denomination. The reason I'm talking about this is, for instance, we were talking about, or I was just talking about the Declaration of Independence, and you go a few years later to the United States Constitution, and it talks about um, that Congress shall make no law uh, respecting the establishment of a religion. Back then, they used the word religion the way that we would tend to use the word denomination today. Mm. I believe that the Founding Fathers indeed were thinking of a Christian religion, but that they were, in other words, Christian as far as having a Judeo-Christian ethic. But when they used the word religion, they thought of it as we would think of as a denomination. So they didn't think that there should be a national denomination. In other words, they were saying there are going to be different ways of understanding these things. Mm -hmm. And I believe the church or going to a particular congregation or being under the auspices of what we would call a denomination or a certain denomination, it leaves a lot of room to be under the authority of various groups of people, whether it's a large uh, large denomination such as the Roman Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod or a smaller denomination such as, well, I don't even want to get into some of the smaller ones because I don't want to make it sound like that they're less significant because they aren't but a home church, Steve, like what you're talking about. I think that there's nothing wrong with it in principle, but at the same time, I sometimes get very wary of some of the churches or some of the groups that start up with no oversight because that's when you start getting into the danger to me of almost being possibly moving into the ways of cults. If that make any sense, if that makes any sense to you all. Well, I think you're talking about um, a very important thing that I call accountability. And so if you have some doctrine codified, um, I mean, when you talk about the name of a denomination, you immediately, Christians often think of the differences between them and, and that group. But you say Baptist, you say Methodism, you say uh, Pentecostal, um, you name it and you immediately think of what they believe. And so that is one good thing because it ties things together. Now, if you subscribe to those doctrines, there are small groups that don't emerge from denominations, of course. And I don't know too many independent Bible studies that have started in homes. Although you gotta believe that in New Testament times, uh, the groups of believers uh, took what they had in common and started meeting in homes. They didn't have denominations. They didn't have churches and, and things like that. But uh, I think accountability or at least some kind of basic agreement that you um, have agreed in principle with what the Bible teaches, I think is that commonality that keeps you from meandering into a cult-like uh, status. But you know what occurs to me is that uh, 
we have this thing called megachurch today. Megachurches are almost small denominations because they branch out and they create small other church groups with their own pastors and things, and there's quite a proliferation. Even megachurches, the people find their fellowship in small group studies in homes, so it's kind of under the banner, if you will, of of a uh, denomination or a group that subscribes to a specific belief system. But uh, I I think accountability is is the big um, issue here so that you don't wander into error. Yeah, I think that many um, denominations, if not most, and even even an independent non-denominational church will often have a statement of faith or a statement of belief that um, we say, this is what we believe. You know, the the most basic ones are the ones where I've seen, we believe in the Bible. And you would think that they might leave it at that, but then they start getting into, well, we believe in this and this and this and this. Um, But we believe in the Bible is oftentimes one of the things that, uh, that they have in that statement of faith. And uh, we're going to continue this in just a few moments, but right now it's time for us to take a quick break for our sponsor. And we're back with Reconciling Grace. We're discussing the question today, do Christians need to belong to a church? or go to church, and uh, Steve Wilson is kind of leading the discussion. And Steve, where did you want to go from here? Well, we were talking about uh, different statements of faith that uh, the denominations put up, or that house churches can can kind of proclaim for themselves to, to keep each other accountable. And I think kind of the justification for house churches, because it's not the norm, but, but it's becoming an, an increasingly... Uh, popular phenomenon for Christians to meet together is the fact that there are so many denominations. And if there's so many denominations out there, well, why can't I start my own church? Right? So there's not really that, that authority of this is the church. This is the church that you have to go to. And if there's not that, then it kind of leaves the door open for anything. But then there's the question of authority and leadership that I kind of want to get into. Well, before we get into that, let me just point out real quickly that, for instance, the Roman Catholics would say that they do have that historical leadership. They would say that the Apostle Peter was the first pope, and the the papacy has been passed down since that time. So they would say that that is their authority, but other than the Roman Catholic Church, um, at least here in the Western world, um, everything else is kind of branched off or broken off or or started up somewhere. I mean, even even the uh, Anglican Church started because King Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there's no, besides for Roman Catholics, there's no um, clear uh, church, capital C church. Uh, but there is that question of leadership. So, Pete, if you would read Hebrews... 1317. Sure. From the New New International Version, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
Okay, so it says, submit to your leader's authority. Now, the question here is, where does that authority come from? Well, let's hope it comes from God. Let's hope it comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, we have westernized the church, uh, small c meaning church, as far as just in general, so much in the United States. Um, we've made it so often a democracy or a republic where we elect our leaders for a denomination based on the uh churches sending delegates to this or that or the other thing and and so many of the people involved are are ministers other people are laity and for instance in the denomination where i am i think it's kind of interesting um we elect a pastor in the congregation so the pastor is called by the congregation elected by the congregation and then there's a church board, and that church board is supposed to work with the pastor, but in essence, that church board is the pastor's boss. In effect, yeah. Right. And, you know, it's kind of like a school board, um, where, where a school board um, names or whatever a uh, superintendent of schools, but then the superintendent of schools has to answer to the school board, and the school board can fire the superintendent. So... It's kind of hard to see where does that authority come from sometimes. Now, in our tradition, in the Church of the Nazarene, when we're talking about ministers, it comes from the laying on of hands. So the ministers will ordain other ministers. Usually it is um, a higher up, for instance, in the Church of the Nazarene, it's usually a general superintendent who has to be in charge of the ordination service. Um, bishops do this in, in other denominations. Um, that's where the authority comes from for ministry to make somebody a leader. I think that the the leadership in churches at the, at the local level, whether or not that they've candidated themselves to a local group of selecting officials, or by way of an Episcopal system, been assigned by some church hierarchies to serve this or that church, they've still signed up to a great responsibility. Um, you know, they're, they're, in the scriptures, they're basically the leaders of the church were termed elders. And we know that the scripture says uh, not many of you should seek to be teachers because you're going to be have a greater responsibility. And, and this may kind of fall, at least within the, the spirit of the word, in, in that area. Uh, Hebrews 1317 that you just read said, uh, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authorities because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now this is pointed out specifically that there's a, a, a very important responsibility uh, there. I'd like to share with you, if I could, the King James version of that same verse, which sounds a little bit, heavy-handed to me. It says not, where the NIV says, have confidence in your leaders. King James says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. 
that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. I think the, the biggest issue with respect to church leadership is not blind submission. I don't think it's a mindless allegiance that we give to our leaders. They have the same Bible we have. They are accountable to God for the same principles and the same truths. I believe that the leadership in a church is no place for a self-serving individual who likes to lord it over others. Um, in doing some research on some of the, the Greek words, and believe me, I'm not a Greek words expert, but the words that translate in the King James as rule over you, the Greek word for that really means to lead or to go before, and the leader should be setting an example for the, the people to follow. And, and uh, one statement I read here, true leadership is nothing more than going on ahead. It's not to bash people over a, a minister's need for power or exercise of power or dominion. And it is to be led by example uh, in, a, in, a, in a nurturing way. And, and uh, I like what King James says that uh, where we express the confidence in those who are following God, who are not trying to pull fast ones or play mind games on followers, it says that they may do it with joy and not with grief. I, I know of so many pastors that get frustrated in their church, and there's no joy there. It's not what they thought. When they signed up to the ministry, they kind of signed up to a, a concept, and we, when they got in their charge, it wasn't what they thought it would be. So... Let me ask this. If the leaders do have authority, and um, let's, give, let's give the benefit of the doubt that they're exercising that authority as good examples, not as overlords, uh, is, it, is it ever acceptable for a Christian to leave a church, to decide that they uh, would rather go somewhere else? Well, again, we, hear, we have our... Um Western American traditions, where we're, we're so consumer oriented in this in this culture, where well, if you don't like it, you can just go to the church down the street. Um, there is such a fine line, and I think that one of the things that that has struck me the more years that I am a Christian is that sometimes there is not a universally correct answer for every single situation. I have been in churches where I just could not, in good conscience, stay because of some of the decisions made by the hierarchies of the denominations and saying, you know, when I'm paying my tithe, part of my tithe is going to support this and these people who are making these rules are not in line with what I believe are with the Bible. And within my spirit, I was led to go somewhere else. There have been other times when I have been in situations where I don't necessarily agree with what's going on, but the Lord has said, no, stay here. You don't have to agree with everything. Um, 
I believe that in one case, a person might be led to stay. In another case, another person may be led to go. We don't have a one universal answer. And I think that if everybody would have been led to stay where they are, we wouldn't have so many denominations these days. As I said before about King Henry VIII, he, he wanted to get a divorce and the Catholic Church wouldn't let him, so he started his own church. I think that is an absolutely rotten reason to start a new church, <laughs> but it became the Church of England, the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, which became part of uh, the Methodist Church, which became part of the Church of the Nazarene, which is part of what I am today. Well, you know, I was thinking, too, that... Uh there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to become a card-carrying member of a local church. Um, I'm familiar with some denomination, one in particular that I won't mention, that has two levels of membership. And you kind of create a caste system where if one person's a level above, they might look down on the one who's got a lesser quality of members. And that seems like that was addressed by Paul in, in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we're also told in, in Romans to watch out for those who cause divisions. And, and it doesn't say throw the divisive person out, but it does say um, keep away from them. That's a quote. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And so it, I don't think that the Lord would uh, mind us changing if we're led by the, we honestly feel led by the Holy Spirit to go and worship with another group. I don't think that the Lord would stop that. I think it's consistent with uh, the free will he gave us in the first place to align ourselves where we're being fed and where we feel like we can fit in in, uh, in furthering the cause of Christ. I like what you said about uh, not being divisive. If we can leave and you know not cause a problem in that church, we're not to to stay there and argue about things. Uh, if we feel like we can't agree, we need to excuse ourselves. Probably. I agree with that. And you know, Steve, maybe that's uh, one of the keys to what we're we need to look at is is the church about me, or is the church about God and worshiping God? It seems that if anybody, whether it be the minister. Uh, whether it be the laity, whether it be the church board, if they want to make it all about themselves and their preferences, then that's the wrong attitude. We need to realize that the head of the church is Jesus Christ and that we are one body with Jesus Christ as the head. And we need to not look at the church as something where we're saying, what do I get out of it? But rather, how do I serve God and love God through this body of Christ? And I'd like to keep going with this, but we're getting to the point where we're running a little bit out of time. I did want to just take a few moments, if we could, to just share with our audience that those of us who have been participating here in Reconciling Grace, and we've had... Um, other people share with us before. Rich Harmon has shared with us before. In the future, we have another person who is going to be sharing with us. And all of us here would be willing to come and, and speak, for instance, with a church, wouldn't we all? I think, Steve, you've said sure. that. And and Mick, you've said that. Absolutely. Uh, we've all been preachers. We've all uh, been able to be leaders in churches. We'd be happy to share with you. We'd be happy to come and talk to your group. So if you'd like to contact us, 
go ahead and send us an email. Send it to RG, which stands for Reconciling Grace, RG at faithandfriendsradio.com. Also, we don't necessarily need to be the ones who are coming up with all the different topics, with all the questions. If you have something you'd like to hear us discuss on an episode of Reconciling Grace, go ahead and again, send us an email. Send it to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. That's faith and friends, spell out the word and in faith and friends. And I think we just barely scratched the surface of all the things that Steve wanted to get to today, but that's kind of the norm. And uh, we'll be back for another episode of Reconciling Grace next time. May God bless you. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.